Well, uh, we're going to start off in the book of Luke today, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. Since this is uh, the season of Advent and the coming of Jesus, there's a couple of different themes that I'd like to uh, look at over the next few weeks, uh, things that we don't normally look at. Uh, Today I want to talk a little bit about the life of the mother of Jesus Christ, one we call the Virgin Mary. We'd like to take a look at her life and ask why of all of the women in the land of Israel at the time Jesus was to be born, why was she picked? Why her? A tremendous privilege. Why was she selected? And I think scripture explains to us quite clearly why she was chosen to be the mother of the very son of God. Where is Mary found in historical record? She isn't. She's only mentioned in the Bible, in God's word. Let me read a a little note here. It's not surprising that there is no historical record of Mary outside of the Bible. Given her residence in a hamlet in Judea's farming region, She was not likely from a wealthy or influential urban family with the means to record their ancestry. Furthermore, Mary was a Jew, a member of a society subjugated under Roman rule. The Roman records show that Romans generally didn't care to record the lives of the peoples they conquered although they took great care to document their own exploits, the Romans did. Finally, Mary was a woman from a patriarchal society. The Jewish society was a patriarchal society under the power of a patriarchal empire. And what does that mean, a patriarchal society? Individual women had no expectation of being remembered unless they had status, wealth, or they had performed a heroic deed in the service of men. As a Jewish girl from the country, Mary had none of the advantages that would have made it compelling to record her life in historical texts. According to the Jewish law of her day, women in Mary's time were thoroughly under the control of men, first of their fathers and then of their husbands. Women weren't second-class citizens, they weren't citizens at all, and had few legal rights. Although they lacked legal rights, Jewish women had significant duties related to the family and faith in Mary's time. They were responsible for propagating the Jewish faith in their children. Thus, they exerted great informal influence over society, despite their lack of citizenship. So that's why, if you look outside of the Bible, you can't find her in uh, encyclopedias or what's it called? Wiki, not wiki, (laughs) wiki, uh, you know, on the computer. But we read her story, her life story in the Bible. What is special about Mary is that she was ordinary. God took an ordinary young woman and used her in an extraordinary way. And you know what, that's the same thing he he does with us. None of us, according to society, are extraordinary people. 
I know I'm not. I don't think you are either. And that's what God enjoys doing, taking ordinary people and through them doing extraordinary things. Why did God choose her? It wasn't because of her formal education, because she had none. It wasn't because of her wealth, because she was poor. It wasn't because of her maturity, because she was a teenager. Let's look here in Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. This is how Mary found out what was about to happen to her. Or, let's, she wasn't forced into this, she was offered this opportunity. Let's put it this way. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So in other words, she's talking to a person who just appeared out of nowhere, <laughs> an angel who is spirit. Spirits, angels can manifest themselves, and that's what Gabriel did in this case. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves. And that's what God did through Jesus. He saved the human race. He paid the, the price for them. He ransomed them. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. So Mary, just as you, you or I would answer, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, so how can I have a child? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. So this is an offer. Mary has the ability to say no, but she doesn't. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. What a tremendous response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So she agreed to participate in this odyssey, I guess you could call it, a wild adventure that you're, is going to change your life. She agreed. She trusted God. Mary had every reason to be frightened. She was told that she was about to have a baby, which she had never experienced before, and this child would be the promised Messiah 
for whom her nation had been waiting in desperation for centuries. I'm sure Mary would have been overwhelmed with fear. What kind of fear? Fear of criticism? What will everybody think? Will they ever believe that a virgin can have a baby? Let me read something else here. Scientific records estimate that women in Mary's day achieved menstrual cycles somewhere around the age of 14. According to the National Geographic's newly published atlas, The Biblical World, thus Jewish women often were married as soon as they became able to bear children, age 14. In order to protect the purity of their bloodline, in other words, the fathers didn't want the young girls to get mixed up with somebody else, so in most cases a marriage was planned and they would get married as soon as possible, as soon as they reached childbearing age, starting at around 14. Even though early pregnancies resulted in high rates of infant and maternal mortality, And here's the problem. A woman found not to be a virgin on her wedding night was cast out as an adulteress with fatal results. So against this historical background, Mary's willingness to be the earthly mother of Jesus was an act of courage as well as faithfulness. As Joseph's betrothed, so it kind of engaged for usually a six-month period, Mary risked being charged with adultery for agreeing to conceive Jesus when she legally could have been stoned to death. Only Joseph's, her husband's, kindness to marry her and legally accept her child as his own saved Mary from the adulteress's fate. So you can bet she was concerned, fearful, uh, afraid. So fear of criticism. What will everybody think? Fear of change. How will this radically change my life? Fear of inadequacy. The mother of the Messiah, can I handle that? Am I going to screw this up somehow? Do I have what it takes to accomplish this? But Mary trusted God. This is the first point that I think is important to consider. She desired God's will for her life more than anything else. As she said there in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let's turn to uh, verse 46. A little bit later on. This is what Elizabeth told Mary. It says here, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Okay, that's what she said to the angel. But in verse 45, Elizabeth said this to her a little bit later on. Blessed is she, she is talking to Mary, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. That's exactly what Mary did. That's exactly how Mary felt. She trusted in God and believed that it was going to happen just the way the angel said. So we have to have the same attitude as God's children. We need to believe that what God says will happen, that it is true, and our priority is to please God. Not 
to please ourselves, not to please other people. And, you know, sometimes that's, that gets in the way of us trying to please God. We put ourselves first or we put other people first. Well, I can't be a Christian because what will my family think? Or I'll be judged. Or what are the people at work going to say? And they use that as an excuse not to be a Christian. Our aim is to try to please God always. This is the purpose of our lives as God's children. So point number one, Mary trusted God. Point number two, Mary was humble. And God draws close to humble people and he rejects proud people. Let's turn to Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. After Mary visited Elizabeth, this is her song. I don't know if she broke out into song at that moment or if these are some thoughts that she wrote down later, maybe in her personal diary or her personal records. She maybe wrote down a prayer, what she was thinking, what was in her heart. It's often called the Magnificat because it starts off with the words to magnify God, to glorify God. That's where the word magnificent Magnificent or Magnificat comes from, glorify. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of, notice, the humble state of this servant. She realized that she did not deserve this opportunity by any means. And she, you know, she didn't say, well, it's about time somebody recognized me. <laughs> she was humble. She couldn't believe that this was happening to her. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And you know what? We still do. The Virgin Mary. We all have very positive <laughs> thoughts about her. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So she doesn't say, well, I must be somebody special. It's about time I got this recognition. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So this special prayer or her innermost thoughts at this time, reflect on her humility. She didn't think she deserved this opportunity. She knew that God would see her through. So that's point number two. Point number one, Mary trusted God. And I think that God kind of knew in advance what kind of person she was. And Mary was humble. And we are all humble, whether you know it or not. <laughs> That's why God called us. So we need to focus on that humble attitude as servants of God. And point number three, Mary was willing to pay the cost. And there was going to be a cost to accept this responsibility. Just because Mary was chosen by God for this incredible responsibility, it didn't mean her life would be a bed of roses. You know, I think sometimes people, and I, I know that I had this 
concept early on in my Christian years, that if you're one of God's people, if you're a Christian, doesn't that mean that life is going to be good for you <laughs> compared to people who are not Christians? It's only the people who are not Christians that suffer. Like I said, early on, that was part of the reason, I don't know, I was mixed up about God. And you know, to this day, when people see Christians suffer, in many cases, they think, well, I guess being Christian isn't all that great after all. Or this person believes in God and they're suffering, does that mean there is no God and their belief is in vain? Just as Jesus was persecuted by those who did not acknowledge him as the Messiah and the Son of God, so too Mary would share in that suffering. Amen. But she was willing to pay the cost, and there was a cost to be paid. Amen. Let's look at Luke 2, beginning in verse 25. Shortly after Jesus was born, according to the Old Testament law, which they lived under, they were Israelites. It was proper to take the baby, the newborn baby, to the temple to be blessed. Okay? And something happened in this occasion. Luke 2, verse 21, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name uh, the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons were offered as a sacrifice. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, in other words, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I can die now because what I prayed to see, you let me see. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. So thank you, Father. I prayed that you'd let me live long enough to see the Messiah, and sure enough, you answered my prayer. Thank you. The child's father, Joseph, had, and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and notice he says directly to Mary, his mother. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Because he's bringing salvation. Some people are going to accept it. <laughs> They're going to rise. Some people are going to reject it. They're going to fall. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So he's saying, listen, mom, your baby's going to be rejected by many. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now notice, 
And a sword, he's saying to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Bad news. You're going to end up suffering through all this. Mary had to suffer. How did she suffer? Well, you know, Jesus throughout his life on earth was continually persecuted, criticized, rejected, and he had to deal with that. One of the, the, the things that was often brought up to Jesus by those who didn't believe it's possible to have a virgin birth, a lot of the Jewish leaders just assumed that he was born out of adultery. Okay, your mother wasn't married at the time. All of a sudden, you come along. You expect us to believe that you were born of a virgin? That's not possible. <laughs> it can't be proved by science. Most people rejected that thought. So there were many times, I won't turn there, but John 8, verse 41, when Jesus was kind of discussing with the uh, Pharisees, if the Pharisees couldn't win the discussion, this, talking about Bible scripture and things like that, the Pharisees would end the discussion by saying, well, at least we're not born out of adultery, like you were. So just a real deep cut against Jesus. That's something he had to deal with throughout, not just his ministry, but throughout his life. Because word spread that when Mary had Jesus, they weren't married yet. That child was conceived before they were ever married. And do you think that Mary had to deal with comments like that too? I'm sure she did throughout her life. Oh yeah, you're the uh, adulteress. You're the one who gave birth to that kid before you were ever married. I'm sure she had to deal with that all her life. Let me read something here. Children born of adultery during Jesus' time or of a for forbidden union well, let me back this up and, and say a word here. There was a book written that was quite common during Jesus' day called the Book of Wisdom or the Wisdom of Solomon. It's a book that's part of what we call the Apocrypha, the books that were rejected as being part of the canon of the Bible, the official books of the Bible. Now, you can find it in some Catholic Bibles because Catholic Bibles include the Apocryphal books but we don't accept it as authoritative and as inspired by God. But this was a common book in Jesus' day. And this is what the Book of Wisdom said about illegitimate children. But children born of adultery or of a forbidden union will die an early death. Yet even if they do live a long time, they will never amount to anything. They will not be respected in their old age, and if they die young, they will have no hope or comfort on Judgment Day. Children born of a forbidden union suffer a miserable fate. This is considered scripture by some. If you want the, the uh, reference, Wisdom chapter 3, uh, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 6, it goes on to say, it is better to have virtue even if it means having no children. Your virtue will be recognized by other people and by God, and you will be remembered for it forever. Virtue provides an example for people to follow. 
When it is not there, they miss it. It has always been the finest prize a person can win, and it will always be so. It is the noblest of all the good qualities a person can have. No matter how many children are born of a forbidden union, none of them will ever amount to anything. They are illegitimate. They can never lay a firm foundation for themselves, never take deep root. Like trees with shallow roots, they put out leaves for a while, but they sway in the wind and storms uproot them. Their branches snap off before they mature, their fruit never ripens, and it is good for nothing. On Judgment Day, children born of a forbidden union will testify to the sin of their parents and act as witnesses against them. So this was a common, a common book read by many in Jesus' day, referred to by some. It's not part of the Bible. It's not part of the accepted text, and I can see why. God loves ch children that are born out of wedlock, okay? Society has changed. It's a common thing today. Is it wrong? Yeah. Does God condemn those, pe those children that are born uh, out of adultery? No, Jesus died for them. So yeah, the law is the law, and it is wrong to do things other than the way God intended, to have a husband and wife, children born out of marriage and out of love. But Jesus had to, to live under the shadow of that condemnation, which was common in, in his day. So Jesus was criticized and persecuted because people did not accept the virgin birth, like the Bible teaches. Mary was persecuted and condemned because she gave birth to this child whom many felt was illegitimate. God informs us and tells us how this birth happened, and we believe it. We don't fully understand it. Come under the shadow of the Holy Spirit? Well, okay. I, only God knows exactly how that worked, but that's how Jesus was born, born of a virgin. And you know what? Mary ultimately followed her son, literally, to the cross. When we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, Mary was there. The Apostle John was there, too, to kind of comfort her along the way. But she had to witness her son beaten, carrying a cross on the way to Golgotha, and then to witness the actual crucifixion. Just like Simeon said, your heart is going to suffer through this all, too. He prophesied it, and sure enough, it came true. So there was a cost to be paid. And Mary was willing to pay the cost. God strengthened her to pay the cost. Let's put it that way. Amen. And God's plan for your life and my life contains costs. You know, it was totally wrong of me to think way back when that, boy, become a Christian, everything's going to be positive. God's going to be with you all the way. You're going to be protected, you know, in this way and that way. And don't get me wrong, God does offer us protection but he also allows us to suffer persecution. Amen. We walk in Jesus' footsteps. We carry our own cross all through our life as a Christian. It's going to happen. Don't be discouraged. God strengthens you. You're building godly character. God's plan for your life includes a certain costs. They're not accidental. They're part of God's plan for you. God knows in advance that they're going to happen because he knows everything, looking backwards and forwards. That's God's nature. 
but Mary was willing to pay the cost, and she did. It wasn't easy. And even after Jesus ascended up into heaven, I'm sure there were still people around who, you know, looked at Mary and pointed at her throughout her whole life. Yeah, she was the mother of that guy, that guy who claimed to be the Messiah, but then he died. And he claimed to be the one who was going to rescue Israel, and he didn't. Not understanding God's whole plan, knowing that Jesus is going to rescue all. He is going to return, but their eyes were blinded to the truth. Mary was a very fine woman. And if you can imagine starting this whole process, perhaps at the age of 14, that's incredible. But it's just a testimony to what God can do if somebody is humble, if somebody trusts in God. And you look at our lives, you know, the older we get, we kind of look backwards sometimes and, and remember all that we've been through and that God has brought us through it all whether it's sicknesses, diseases, tragedies, uh, accidents. Just like Mary and just like Jesus, sometimes we go through the mill too, don't we? But God is there. And these are all examples for us to read and uh, remember. Now, in spite of the fact that Mary was a wonderful person throughout her whole life, some down through the centuries have added extra things to Mary that the Bible doesn't teach. Now, I went to a Catholic high school that was run by a group of men called Marianists. And it was a group of brothers, kind of like the Jesuits. You've all heard of the Jesuits. That's kind of a group of men uh, who educate and you know, lead Christian groups in, in certain ways. My teachers were all Marianists. In other words, they based their theology and their teaching on Mary. They honored her, uh, you know, for her courage and for her dedication and things like that. But unfortunately, they added certain things to Mary's life that the Bible doesn't teach. Certain things like this. You know, the Immaculate Conception, you've all heard of that. My church was called the Immaculate Conception that I was raised in. That's not talking about Jesus being immaculately conceived. It's actually talking about Mary because they feel that not only was Jesus born of a virgin, but the Virgin Mary was also, which the Bible doesn't teach. Uh, they also taught that Mary was perpetually a virgin. Whereas the Bible talks about Jesus having sisters and brothers. So the Bible implies that Mary had children the natural way after Jesus was born. But they feel that she remained perpetually a virgin, which I don't accept. It's not biblical. They also teach that Mary did not die and was not buried, she was assumed up into heaven, that she rose up into heaven to receive her heavenly reward before she ever died, which the Bible doesn't teach. But they so honor her that they just assume that these things must have happened to her. And they also recognize Mary as what they call the co-redemptrix. 
which means that she's kind of the mediator between mankind and God, just like Jesus is, which the Bible doesn't teach. Jesus himself is our high priest. He is the mediator. Mary has no involvement in that. And they also teach that Mary has a right to be venerated and or worshiped, which the Bible does not teach. So they honor her, but in such a way that they almost raise her up to the level of Jesus himself. So we know what Mary is and what Mary is not. So we don't add things to the honor of Mary that the Bible doesn't specifically teach us. So uh, I think they, they certainly err in that regard, but they're going to do things the way they want to do them. That's fine. There's one main lesson that I always remember from Mary that I think we can certainly follow besides what we just discussed, but in John 2, verse 5. I think it's a lesson that, that Mary teaches us directly. We all know the story of the wedding feast where Jesus turned water into wine, the feast at Cana. Uh, it was Mary who approached Jesus. They were at the, the wedding celebration. They ran out of wine. It comes to Mary's attention. So she goes to Jesus and says, uh, uh, they need wine. You need to do something about it, okay? And what does Mary say to the servants? Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he, Jesus, tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. So Jesus said, okay, fill these pots up with water. And the servants did it, brought the pots to him. Miracle, he changes the water to wine. But Mary's advice or instruction to the servants, I think we can take personally. Do whatever he tells you. Jesus, do whatever he tells you. Good advice. That's advice for us today and throughout our lives. So as we read about Jesus, we study what he said, how to live, uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, Mary is saying, do what he says. So I think we can take that as a personal encouragement from, from Mary. Good advice for all. I think that's all that I had. I thought I had one more thing. Nope. So a balanced approach toward Mary. We can study her life. Outstanding example of what God can do with a humble person who trusts God. Uh, that also God will give us the wherewithal to pay the cost the cost that we all are going to have to pay for being a Christian through our lives. And uh, I think as we all look back, we can cite examples of times when we had to pay a certain cost. Maybe there are times ahead where we will still have to do that. But we can uh, honor her, we can uh, respect her, we don't need to worship her or lift her up on the level with Jesus. But we certainly thank God for her wonderful example. And uh, she was such an integral part of the pl plan of creation. Uh, but God picked the right one for the job. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story. Uh, 
you called a humble person to do a, 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 an incredible job. And in a similar way, Father, you have called us to do wonderful things, to represent you here on earth. As you dwell in us, we reflect your light to others. We have the opportunity to lead others to you. So help us always to remember that. It's an awesome calling that you've given us. And as your children, you have called us because you've seen a certain amount of humility in us and a certain willingness to obey you. So help us to do that uh, with more purpose and with more focus. And uh, it's a wonder, God, that with you all things are possible, even in our lives today. So we thank you for the opportunity you've given us and just help us to continue on until the very end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.